Today we're going to be talking about family life, and many of you missing your wives this weekend got a little bit of a, a taste of the absence of family life, or the absence of at least one of the, the members of the family. Uh, missing our wives. Any men here with missing their wives? Yeah, everyone with wives gone should be raising their hand. Let's just, let's just say that right now. Um, you know, I am, I am proud to say, a little bit of bragging here, I have three kids that are still alive. That's a good thing. And um, I didn't feed any of them stickers on their apples this time. What? Stickers are edible. That's what I told them. That didn't, um, that didn't work out. And um, I'm hoping for no pneumonia, but um, Susie's not on Facebook, so we'll keep the whole trampling and rain thing just between us. Uh, no, she, I, I did let her know that. We just had a great time. Um, turns out I thought it was really raining hard, and I found out my eldest son didn't think it was raining enough and got the hose out <laughs> and supplemented what God was doing to, on, on his brother and sister. Bless their hearts. And so then we, we had the whole ordeal of finding towels and getting everyone warmed up and getting clothes dry and all those things. And, you know, they, they seem like ordinary things of life, but boy, when, when, when part of your family is missing, it's hard, isn't it? Because she knows, Susie knows where all those things are and she often takes care of, of some of those things and she would know how, you know, how to dry their clothes, and I, I probably messed it up by putting them all in the dryer together, but oh well, we'll see. Um, but we miss, we miss part of our family when they're gone. And what a great opportunity today to talk about the family of God, and talk about the different roles, the different responsibilities, the different giftings that God has given each of us here. He has given us the ability to follow Him, to serve Him. And in fact, He's put us together in a way where we can do that together and we need each other. And we're going to be talking about that this morning as, as Paul talks about gifting at the church at Corinth. See, in the church at Corinth, as we've seen all throughout the book, it seems like every opportunity for division they took. So they were looking for ways to elevate themselves. And in a status society, that's often what happens. Anything that can elevate my status... And they were doing that with ministries or gifting in the church. And for them, as we're going to see two chapters from now in 14, one of the gifts that they elevated above all else was speaking in tongues. And so Paul is, is bringing some sanity to the situation, some biblical theology to the situation, saying this is not what God intended. And in chapter 12, as Pastor Andrew started last week, we, we get what God intended, and we get probably the most extensive teaching on spiritual gifts we have in the New Testament. And so we want to spend some time with it. We're actually going to spend a couple of weeks. This week we're going to finish chapter 12. Next week we're going to look at some of the implications, some of the gifts, and, and how do we get going on, on gifts? How do we use our gifts? But it, it, it's been really good this week to hear some of your questions and to hear, boy, I really hope you cover this, or I really hope you cover this. And I hope in the next couple of weeks... We can cover those things and really see how the Holy Spirit wants to work at Village Bible Church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reviewing a little bit of what Pastor Andrew talked about last week and then moving on through the rest of the chapter, saving a few things for next week. But if you remember, the very first verse of 1 Corinthians 12 was now concerning spiritual gifts 
I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he's responding to what looks like a question from them or, or a report about what's going on there. And he's going to now spend chapters 12, 13, and 14 teaching the church at Corinth how God wants to use spiritual gifts. How God wants them used in the church. Now, it's helpful in some of the questions I got. So what is a spiritual gift? And it's helpful to understand that right at the beginning. And so I put a, a definition. And as Pastor Andrew said last week, there are a lot of opinions about every aspect of spiritual gifts. There are huge, um, a huge range of opinions within the church, within Bible-believing Christians. And so as we talk about this, and as we talk about our stand as a church and where we come down on these things, we do so with a lot of grace and with an open hand realizing we don't know everything about spiritual gifts. We don't know everything about the Holy Spirit is really why and, and how He works. And for us to presume to know everything is to presume that we have the same knowledge as the Holy Spirit. So we want to be careful to show a lot of grace and, and look at what Scripture says. That we do know. And be careful of going beyond Scripture and be honest to say, hey, we're, we're, we're guessing here. We're, we're not sure, but... Um, here's some possibilities. So for a definition of spiritual gift, it is a Spirit-empowered ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer and divinely apportioned throughout His church to be used to minister God's grace to others and therefore build up the body of Christ. So you should have that memorized by the end of the service. There will be a test to get out. No, just kidding. Hopefully as we, as we talk through spiritual gifts, we'll understand different parts of that. Let me read that one more time. A spiritual gift is a Spirit-empowered ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer and divinely apportioned to be used to minister God's grace to others and therefore build up the body of Christ. And today we'll talk about ten different um, truths about spiritual gift and try to sort of answer a lot of questions, give us a broad understanding but a quick understanding of some of the um, reasons for spiritual gifts and how they are used and put into practice. First thing, though, to start is some of the purposes of spiritual gifts. It's important to understand why is the Holy Spirit doing this? Why is He doing this in the church? And we, we started to look at that last week. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 there. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the... What does your Bible say? For the common good. Other translations may word that a little different, but it's about the benefit of the body. And so, A there, they are not about me. Oh, man. But they are for the good and building up of others. That's important because throughout Scripture, God repeatedly says this is to build up the body. In 1 Peter 4.10, we read, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Not ourselves, but to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Ephesians 4.12 talks about that, that some gifts and some offices are given to equip other gifts and to equip the body to serve. And it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So the first purpose we've, we've got to understand is it's not about me. It's about the common good. It's about building up the body of Christ. So as we look at them, that becomes actually a pretty foundational question to understanding the gifts. Does this build up the body? And Paul's going to go there in chapter 14 when he talks about tongues. He's going to say, does this edify the body? 
Is how you're using it really helping and for the benefit of all? So first purpose, they're not about me, but for the good and building up of others. Second purpose, as we continue on in the Ephesians 4 passage, and I'll read some of these so you can keep your, your Bibles open to, to 1 Corinthians. But the second purpose is to produce maturity and stability in our church family. And that really grows out of purpose A, but it gives sort of the end result. In Ephesians 4, we read, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry for building up of the body of Christ. And then catch the end result. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so what, where Paul goes on to say, as we use our gifts, God has given us spiritual abilities so that we grow in maturity. And so we're not deceived by false doctrine. And we'll see some of the gifts very specifically deal with those things. But as we use those gifts, the body matures. That's the bottom line of this one. And, and by implication, if we don't use our gifts, we hinder the maturity of the body. We hinder the growth of the body. And so God has divinely ordained that through the use of spiritual gifts that He gives, that He empowers, He will grow His church. Interestingly enough, as the body grows, I grow too. So as I use my gifts to grow the body, God then in turn grows me as part of the body. Last purpose there, and we're just going through these quickly, but to glorify God. To glorify God. In 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. In order, and this is his purpose clause, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we think of spiritual gifts, when we think of these abilities God has given, first thing is it's not about me, it's about the common good. Second thing, God is going to use that to grow this body into maturity. And the third thing is, He's glorified by that. In the end, it draws attention to Him. Not to me, not to us, but to Him. So that gives us really a a wonderful theological foundation for the purpose of spiritual gifts. And so then we want to jump into our text and say, okay, what are some of the truths about spiritual gifts? What is Paul teaching the church at Corinth and our church today, the church at Village Bible Church in Garden Grove. The first truth is, is really coming from some of Pastor Andrew's teaching last week. All believers and only believers are gifted by the Holy Spirit. All believers and only believers are gifted by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 that you have open there, you see the verse that Pastor Andrew taught on last week in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To who? To each. That means every believer. And so we know that everyone is gifted if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. One of the questions that came in often this week was, do I have a spiritual gift? The answer to that is, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as as Lord of your life? If you have 
then you have a gift. At least one, maybe more. Paul actually starts there. That was, that was the first point of chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He's saying the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and it's He that enables us to say Jesus is Lord, to make Him Lord of our, our lives. And Paul uses that as his foundation for spiritual gifts to say it starts with salvation. It starts with believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the things I love about that is he, he's comparing the Holy Spirit, as we learned last week, to mute dumb idols. And, and the principle is this. Would you rather have some a, a spiritual gift enabled by a log? Or would you rather have a spiritual gift enabled by the living, all-powerful God that's living inside you? Different perspective, right? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we are believers. And He equips and He gives the gifts. We don't earn them. They're gifts. But all believers and only believers are gifted by the Holy Spirit. In light of that this morning, if you're here visiting and and you don't know Jesus Christ and you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, this discussion doesn't apply. And and I I don't say that in a mean way, but in a way of, of urging you to come to Christ and say He is Lord. Because then the Holy Spirit indwells you. And you have that empowering agent. You have God Himself indwelling us for the good of the church. That empowerment comes from God. So then we get to verse 12, and we get to our text this morning. And let's read verses 12 through 13. And Paul begins to use a metaphor here of a body, and it's a metaphor that they sometimes used in teaching at the time, so this wasn't new. But it's, it's really fun to see what he does here. It's exciting to me because he, he's using a little bit of humor. I like humor. He's using some humor to teach some divine principles, but to really say God is on his church and he is blessing his church with all that it needs to do his work. And so let's read verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So he starts by taking something we all know, the body. We, we all probably looked in a mirror this morning. And you probably all, even if you didn't consciously think about it, you noticed you have different parts. Sort of obvious statement of the day, right? You have two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears. And we can go on and on. We have different parts. But I would bet that not one of you looked in the mirror and say, Wow, that's a really good looking eye. No, it's about the body. Those things all make up the body. If if you were to see, and this is this this is sort of weird, but go with me on this. If you were to see a giant ear lying on the ground, you wouldn't look at that ear and say, "Wow, look at that body," right? What would you say? Look at that giant ear. That's sort of gross. That's a little creepy, right? And so. I know, I know we're sort of making, making light of it, but that's what Paul's doing. This is what the text is doing. He's using illustrations of absurdity to show truth. And he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, if you're reading along, you get to so it is with Christ. That might not be quite the phrase you would look for there. You might be looking for so it is with the church. And Paul begins here making an important um, truth that we're going to see him expand on a little later, 
that the church is the body of Christ. He's equating the two here. So he says, so it is with Christ, but he's really talking about the church as the body of Christ. And like I said, he'll explicitly say that later. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul then gives the reason why we're one body. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. There's all kinds of debate about what this is. But this is this looks like it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and just to, to understand, who was baptized in the, into the body? All believers. Who was made to drink of one Spirit? All believers. Because that's the context of the church here. And I say that because some have, have taken verses like this or, or other principles, and we see some churches saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is some sort of secondary thing. It's a different thing from salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. It's what happens when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, when we repent of our sins and acknowledge that He died on the cross to save us. At that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism there means to be whelmed. And it was used of if you took a cloth and you put it in dye and you just kept pushing it under the dye, what would happen eventually to the cloth? It would get the, become the color of the dye, right? That was to be overwhelmed or to be whelmed with, with that. And that's why in water baptism, it's a symbol of the, of the Holy Spirit's baptism. And that's why we practice immersion, because it's the best picture of what's happening with the Holy Spirit. Now, now get this. What he's saying is, when, we, when you are saved, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. You are, you are put under and, and He surrounds you and envelops you and, and permeates our lives. That's what's happening when we are saved. I know in, in evangelical churches in the last 50 years, we haven't talked about the Holy Spirit that much. He's alive, people. He, he is God. He's a member of the, the, the triune God. And He indwells us, overwhelming us. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it, it spans racial lines. Jews or Greeks. It spans social lines. Slaves or free. It doesn't matter. We're all one because of the Holy Spirit. There's a unity here. He ends by saying, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. And again, it's, it's the idea, the drink there is more, that's the word they would use of irrigation. To just pour water on. I think of the, the, the ALS water challenge that people have been doing. Well, that you used to do where they'd pour buckets of water on their head and anyone's seen those videos? That's sort of the picture here, but in abundance of the Holy Spirit just being poured on, being irrigated, our thirst quenched by the Holy Spirit, being saturated. And what we see in those verses, number two there, the truth, All of us, though gifted differently, form one body in the Spirit. All of us, though gifted differently, form one body in the Spirit. And God's plan is diversity of members forming unity of the body. And it's unity through diversity. And it really makes a lot of sense when we think of the body of Christ. And understand this, the church is the living representation of the incarnate Christ. 
We are the body of Christ. In, in ways, as we look through Scripture, more than just, oh, some vague symbol, we are the body of Christ spiritually. And just like your body, you like to have hands and feet and legs and heads and eye, head, eyes and, and ears. <laughs> Let's go with one head. <laughs> All of that is one body. Diversity is needed. Unity is essential. And so the first principle, or the second principle, all of us, though gifted differently, form one body in the Spirit. Paul wants to make that very clear to them because there were divisions over gifts. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we go along. But people were being made to feel inferior because they had lesser gifts that weren't very important in the church. Others felt very superior to others because we have the best gifts. And so we are more important than you. We are over you. Is that unity? It completely violates why God gave a diversity of gifts to His his church. To form one body that works. That is healthy. So we move on. The next principle, the next truth of spiritual gifts, no gifting is inferior to another. We're going to see that in verses 14 through 16. No gifting is inferior to another. No gifting makes you less a part of the body. God uses all gifts to create a healthy, growing body. Let's read starting at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again, that's the whole ear on the ground argument again. If you just see one member, that's not the body. We only think of it as a body if you see all the members. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, and and now we have talking parts of the body. Here we go. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And Paul here begins to address the issue of people feeling inferior or or feeling less a part of what's going on, less a part of the body, because they don't have the cool gifts. And Paul is saying, no, any part of the body, any way you're gifted, if you're working in the way that God intended you to work, that makes you part of the body. Nothing can change that. What a great message to the quiet person with the gift of helps that doesn't feel like they're really contributing because they just do a few things behind the scenes. This morning, as I, I just walked around campus this morning, I saw people setting up chairs. I saw people putting up dividers. I saw people making coffee. I saw people preparing the coffee cart. People in here preparing music to lead us in worship. Somebody put out the little parking signs that are out there. Somebody this week cleaned the facilities and made sure that they were stocked with supplies ready for us to go. All that behind the scenes. All that that some may say, oh, those are inferior, those are less important. Are they less important? No, absolutely not. I I was trying to, to teach through this passage with my kids this week. And, and I, I know kids have a hard time with abstract con- concepts. They're still very concrete. And so I, I was trying, especially these verses, I said, okay, he, here's the thing. In, in the church, 
God has, has a lot of people with different abilities that are all important, right? They're like, yeah, dad, that's great. I said, okay, so let's, let's look at what Paul said. What about an ear or an eye? Which one's more important? Wrong question to ask. They thought about it, they're like, actually, I think the eye is a little more important. I'm like, what? You'd want me to take away your ears? Yeah, I think I could live without my ears if I could see. I'm like, no, 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 that's not the point. <laughs> Do you want both? Well, I guess so. I, okay, so I went to the hand and foot one. I thought, okay, Paul went there next. Let's go there next. I'm like, okay, what about hand and foot? You need both of those, right? Walk and hand. Like, Dad, I actually think hand would be better. But no, no, that's not the point. See, naturally, don't we go there? And naturally in the church, we elevate different jobs and different tasks more than others because maybe they're up front or, or maybe it's something that affects us personally or maybe it's part of our passion. I, w- I went on with my kids just to sort of finish the story. I said, okay, what about mommy and daddy? Which one's more important there? <laughs> my wife was sitting there. They're like, oh, daddy's more important. I'm like, oh, don't you say that. <laughs> you have no idea. Oh, but daddy gets us Slurpees. <laughs> what an interesting truth. What were they basing it on? What do I get? We went on to, to try a couple other examples with Sunday school teachers of different ages. That didn't work out. I'm just dying here. And, and so finally I said, okay. You know I'm pastor at church, right? Like, yeah, 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 Dad. I said, who's more important, me or the person that keeps the bathrooms clean? And they're like, oh, that'd be pretty disgusting if the bathrooms weren't working. <laughs> and the light went on. And they, well, they actually said that person's more important. Absolutely, I'm all for that. Good job, guys. <laughs> and then we talked about, okay, what about the person that pays the bills so we have electricity, so we can worship together? These are all different people that God has equipped in different ways in our church. They all work together. None of those are less important. And that's what Paul's getting at here. We got to talk again yesterday and and Mark came back to that about the toilets and the electrical bills and he finally got it after some failures as illustrations. But they realized all members of the body doing God's work are part of the body. And are important. We need to cling to that. A couple of different applications. One is personally, we need to not be envious of other gifts. Don't sell your gifts short. They are exactly what God wants you to do to make this body healthy and to make this body work. To make us grow. Don't be envious of other gifts. You don't need to be because yours are just as important and just as vital. And we'll get to that. One author noted just a real interesting thing that the foot here is contrasted to the hand. Items that are, are actually pretty similar, somewhat similar function, but um, you know the ends of our limbs. And the eye is contrasted with the ear, both senses. And he said in his experience, he's noticed that most of the time we have more difficult being envious of gifts that are closer to ours that we think that are maybe just above ours than we do those gifts that are completely other to us. You know, and so I was thinking about this. I thought that's sort of true. Human nature, we get a little envious. We get a little jealous of someone that is doing something we think we could do. Well, how come they get to do it? 
So we want to be careful not to envy the other gifts. Part of this is to relish using your own gifts. They are important. It's essential for each member to play the role that God designed them for. To use the gifts God has given. No gifting is inferior to another, is Paul's point here. We go on, verse 17 through 20, and we'll get several principles out of this, this section. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Do you get the feeling he's sort of hammering the same principle home? Diversity, many parts, one body. Principle number four there, no single gift is given to everyone. No single gift is given to everyone. The whole body is not an eye. The whole body is not an ear. That'd be sort of creepy. My kids went there too in that discussion. They're like, well, that'd be sort of weird if you had an ear here and an ear here and an ear here. I'm like, no, no, you're missing the point. Um, (laughs) But maybe they weren't because Paul goes there. We're all different. No single gift is given to everyone. What if everyone in here was gifted to preach? Cool, we'd each preach once every four years. No, (laughs) it would be hard. What if everyone here was gifted to do the finances of the church? It doesn't work that way. God has given different gifts to different people. This is how we value the ministries, the other ministries people are part of, because we don't have those gifts. Part of this is understanding that since no one gift is is given to everybody, that means everybody does have different gifts. That means your gifts might not be mine. Your passions might not be mine. And one of the just real practical things out of that is we're all going to serve in different areas. It is really easy when we're in a ministry to think, everybody should be part of my ministry. Everybody should feel this is important. But biblically, we're not all gifted the same way. And there are all kinds of ministries that happen in the church. No single gift is given to everyone. We want to honor that. Sort of the corresponding that number five there, no one receives all the gifts. See the difference there? No single gift is given to everyone, but no one person gets all the gifts. We don't have any spiritual supermen here. I guess Superman even had his kryptonite. But what happens, what would happen if, if one person got all the gifts? Any ideas you can answer? You wouldn't need anyone else. Until they die. <laughs> Until they die. I love the phrase, there are no indispensable men in the cemetery. Um, <laughs> Burnout. Absolutely. If one person has all the gifts, they do everything. They don't need someone else. Now keep in mind Paul's argument that there's unity and diversity. The needing one another is part of God's grand design. He knows us. We are a prideful people. And if we can do it all, we do it all. And we don't value other people. 
Let me add to that 27 through 30. We'll get there, but it's, it's really part of the same discussion. Paul's making that, the same argument, actually 29 through 30. Are all apostles? And, and the Greek there is written with, with a certain word that says, no, they're not. You know, sort of, are all you men missing your wives? Yes, you are. This implies a certain answer. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer to all those is in the text is no. Not every gift is not no single gift is given to everyone, and not everyone receives all the gifts. He wants us to need each other. Not to be islands that don't need anyone else, but to work together for his purposes. To work together for his purposes. Also in that section, 17 through 20, you see verse 18, and this goes back to also verse 11 that we talked about last week. But verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So principle number six there, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts and arranges them in churches as he chooses. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts and arranges them in churches as he chooses. This is huge. Because it means none of us get to choose our own gifts, but we also aren't choosing each other's gifts. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit chooses, and the Holy Spirit apportions them within the church according to the needs of the church. Isn't that, isn't that a relief? Because here's the, here's the underlying principle of that. God has gifted village with every gift we need to do the work He wants Village to do. That's cool. We can look around and we can say, God has equipped us to do His work, what He wants us to do. Because He's apportioning it and He's giving the mix of what we need and the different people. And so when we think of what does was God what, what Village to do, we first look at Scripture and say, what should a church do? But then when we go behind that to specific specific programs or things, we look at our gifting and say, what has God gifted us to do? What has God enabled us to do? That's part of discovering what the Holy Spirit is doing here at Village. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Just a a, a cool thing about theology. I, I love this passage. Verse 18 says God arranged. Verse 11 says the Holy Spirit arranged. It's another point that the Holy Spirit is God. It's another evidence of the Trinity. So so for those of you theology buffs, there's another Easter egg about that. God decides what gifts I get. He has arranged them. He has put them in place. Look forward to verse 24. We'll just look ahead real quickly which are more presentable parts do not require. We'll talk about that in a minute. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. He's talking about some parts that maybe would be despised or looked down on, feeling superior. But God composed the body. And the idea is to carefully arrange a mix within the body. And as he talks about body here, we can talk about the church, the universal church as the body of Christ, But the context here is the local church. The local church at Corinth. Village. And so just like an orchestra, just like a symphony, 
that has different instruments. I imagine if you went to a symphony and there were only xylophones. That'd just be harsh. <laughs> Sorry if you play xylophone. It's a cool instrument. But God has arranged a variety of instruments, a variety of people, gifts, to work together to form the picture and the music He wants out of His church. What does that mean for us? For me individually, it means my gifts are not an accident. My presence at this church is not an accident. It is part of God's plan for Village Bible Church. Point number seven. Principle number seven of gifts. And each of these just sort of flow out of the last. Each gifted believer is a vital, needed, and dependent on part of the body. Each gifted believer is a vital, needed, and dependent on part of the body. Vital, vital and needed, are, I, I'm using those in a similar fashion, but vital being life-giving or, or growth-giving. Needed, we need each other. Depended on, we need to start realizing that if, if we need each other and God has placed me in this body for this body to grow, then I'm depended on by the other parts of the body. You can just summarize that to say we need each other. Amen? Amen. Let's read those verses, 21-24. through 24. The eye cannot to say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And he's using weaker there as he did in chapter 1 that God will use the weaker things to confound the wise. Same word that's used there. And maybe that's the sick or those that they didn't think were needed. But God is saying, no, they're indispensable. They're needed. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And he's speaking of, of our private parts, our reproductive organs. And he's saying we hide those. We, we, we give them modesty. We give them special clothing. Are they important to life? Yes, otherwise life ends. This is the last generation. And, and so he's using just an understanding of the human body to say in the same way, there are no unneeded gifts. There are no unneeded people in the church. Isn't that cool? If you are a believer and you are here this morning and this is your church, you are needed. You are significant. You are part of what God is doing here. Talk about purpose in life. This is purpose in life. See, a healthy body has a multiplicity of different parts, each doing their part. We need each other. Verse 24, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. An example of this, the appendix, right? What's been said for a long time about the appendix? You You don't need it. I would maintain if God put it there, there's probably a, a need for it. And, and those that believe in evolution have said, oh, it's just you know something left over. Interestingly enough, on October 12, 2007, a study came out. turns out the lowly appendix may have a purpose after all. The latest research suggests that the seemingly useless organ provides a safe haven for good bacteria to hang out in the gut. Just what you wanted to learn on Sunday morning, right? It's part of the immune system. Um, Duke University researchers said that it it provides a safe house for these beneficial bacteria 
that when some sort of sickness or something happens to wipe out the, the bacteria of the intestinal tract, the appendix gets to resupply and keep you healthy. Unneeded? No, part of the health of the body. Part of the immune system of the body. Some this morning with, with your gifting, you might feel like the appendix because you just don't see the value of it. You are important in ways beyond all imagination. Indispensable. Ray Stedman, pastor, once told him that a doctor came to him and said, you know, you need your big toe to preach. He's like, what? My big toe? He goes, yeah, you need your big toe to preach. And he said, okay, I'll bite. Why? He said, well, your big toe is responsible for balance when you stand. And so if you didn't have a big toe when you're preaching, you would just keep falling over. Or you couldn't stand still. You'd keep somehow trying to get your balance. It's part of helping you preach. What a great illustration. Every gift is needed. Every member is needed. This is part of the interdependence of the body of Christ or mutual dependence. I need you. You need me. It's part of working together. One, one author, and I love what he said, what happens when a body part is cut off? What happens to that body part? It dies. If I cut off my hand, leave it, I don't want to get gross, but cut off my hand, leave it on the stage for a week or two, it, it's dead, right? Because it's not part of the body. The body's handicapped, the part dies. What a great picture when we cut off a member of the body, when we think someone's not important, or when we choose not to use our gifts in the body. That member dies, the body is handicapped. The work of God is hindered. I wouldn't say stopped, He will find a way, but it's hindered. If we don't use our gifts, we are eliminating a needed part of the body. Paul goes on to to give sort of the conclusion of that in verse 25 and 26, that there can't be any rivalry because of that. No rivalry, no division, but rather it should be true concern and care for all because we all are needed. So we should be lifting each other up. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. In fact, the diversity and need for each other creates a, a reason for no division. An antidote for division but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that true of the body? When, when one member suffers, the whole body suffers? In high school, I was doing some crazy youth game. Not that any of you have ever done crazy youth games, but crazy youth game, and I was barefoot. I ended up um, snapping the, the, the ligaments in my big toe. Ouch. That was just a pain for the next six months. If one member suffers, all members suffer. It's true here. Think of Bud and Dorothy. Think of other needs. Some of you have lost, many of you have lost people this year. We suffer together. We grieve together. We come together and care for each other because every member of this body is important and vital for what God wants to do. Paul says we also honor together or rejoice together. 
And when one member is honored, it's not about, oh, I wish I had gotten credit. It's about let's rejoice for what God has done. None of the gifts are for our credit. Remember reason number one for gifts? It's not about me. It's not about my elevation. It's not about my credit. It's about God's glory. Purpose number three. And so when one member is honored, when any of us are honored as we serve God, it should all be directed back to God. Look what God's doing. What He has enabled. I'd like to just illustrate this real quickly. Just with something fun. I, I know you guys think I'm a little crazy sometimes. I need six guy volunteers. Strong, energetic. Nathan, come on down. I need five more. Joey. Patrick. AJ. Oh, was your hand not up? <laughs> Philip. One more. Tim, sorry. Okay. One of you is now lame. Okay? You can't walk. Who wants to be lame? <laughs> Come on. He is pretty lame. Have a seat. Okay. Your five, your job is to get them out that door. Nicely and safely. Can't <laughs> you can't throw them. Sorry, I know, I know you have family up here. Okay, here's the deal. Four of you can only grab one leg of the chair. Okay, which four are going to pick them up? One, two. Okay, grab one leg. Oh, by the way, you four are blind. Really, your son will be okay. You don't have any strength, you can't carry anything, but your eyes work fine and your mouth works fine, okay? Get them out that door. Safely. There's a step there, by the way. <laughs> okay, so you need to tell them what to do. <laughs> Dear Lord, help us to work. <laughs> okay, talk more. About how far is the step? Give them a little more. Okay, so Patrick, you're stepping down. Talk more. Just about there, AJ. Okay, good job opening the doors for them. Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Talk more. What, What do they need to be careful of? So lower him down about six inches. There you go. Now go on out. Okay, now lower him down. Bring the chair back in. Good job, guys. John, he's okay. I know it may seem sort of silly, almost like talking about eyes and ears talking. But what a great picture of the body of Christ. Different gifts that needed each other. And we saw a picture of of one person that needed encouragement, that needed to be carried. Four others that could carry, but couldn't see. They didn't have the gift of sight. We had another one with the gift of sight and speaking that was able to direct them. We saw some challenges with that, right? 
when he didn't direct quite enough, when there needed to be more verbal, then there was danger in how the gifts were used. He needed that direction. Were all those gifts needed? What if only two of the guys were lifting? Yeah, (laughs) not good. What if no one was directing? Now, was there an element of trust there? And in fact, in the church of God, as we use our gifts, there's an element of trust. There's an element of saying, I trust that you are using your gift empowered by the Holy Spirit. I wanted to give us just a a practical example of what Paul's talking about here. We are members of one body. I'd like to finish with point number eight. And this one we'll, we'll mostly pick up next week. Don't be disappointed with your gifts. Recognize them and use them orderly in the body. Don't be disappointed with your gifts. Recognize them and use them orderly in the body. And in 27 through 30, we see Paul sort of summarizing all his arguments. We're coming back around. And he says, now, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed, and he's reminding them that God has appointed, and he starts to address some of the gifts, some of which they really wanted and were disappointed if they didn't have, others that they didn't think were that important. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. The last one mentioned, that was the one they thought was the best. Very very interesting. He's making a point here. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And he comes back to the body of Christ. And the first three he mentions are positions. And and actually, gifts become positions as they're used. So someone with the gift of teaching... When he starts to use that gift, what do we call him? A teacher, right? Someone with the the gift of prophesying, and and Happy talked about that a little bit last week. We'll talk about that more next week. But telling God's Word directly and how it applies to current circumstances and current lives, um, that is something that it's a gift of prophecy, and then when someone starts doing it, they're called a prophet. And so we see the first three are, are these positions... And somehow, Paul is making a a type of priority on them. Not that they are more important, but he says first, second, and third, it looks as if he's establishing an order within the church. See, gifts aren't just to be used willy-nilly as anyone wants to. It's done in a decent and orderly way as he's going to go to in, in chapter 14. It's done to build up the body. And so he first gave apostles, and this also could be chronological, because an apostle was a sent out one. They were the church planters. And, and we had the twelve apostles, which were ones that had the, the inspired authority of the Word of God. But then throughout the New Testament, we see other people referenced as apostles that were not part of the twelve. So somehow in the early church, there was another position of apostleship that seemed to be more like missionaries and sent out ones for the work of God. And so the church, these people would found a church. The prophets would be much like your preachers, those that were, were taking God's Word and preaching how it applies to certain circumstances. 
they would come along and build up the church. And then the teachers are organizing all of the teaching, all of the traditions, and bringing it to bear in in a systematic way with the congregation. And so those three, I, I think, really are referring to a type of leadership, a type of order in the church. We see the same thing in Ephesians 4 with a couple of others added there. And then the rest, there's no order to, but he's saying, and then all of these are practiced in the church under that order. A couple of new ones there. Um, Helps is a new one there. And you, you see that, the gift of helping. And that was the ability to come alongside someone else and take part of their burden on yourself. To take a burden on oneself instead of leaving it on another. Isn't that a great description of someone with the gift of helps? Well, let me help you with that. Administration. And that may actually be leadership there because the word for administration there is the pilot of a ship. And so we think sometimes administration of all the nitty-gritty details, which is, I believe, a gift and it's absolutely necessary. Paul here is probably referencing more upper-level administration, guiding and giving vision and direction to the church. We'll, We'll talk about all those in a little bit more detail next week. But the point of this section, this last section, don't be disappointed with your gifts. Recognize them. Use them in an orderly way in the body. 31, first part of 31 is really a difficult phrase, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Wait a minute, didn't you just say, Paul, that there's not priority? A couple of things here, and there's all kinds of opinions of what this means. Some say he, he's just being a little sarcastic to them. doesn't look that way. It, especially, he, he picks the same command up twice in chapter 14. But a, a couple of things help us, but earnestly desire the higher gifts He's actually using the plural there. It's the you all again. But you all, as a church, earnestly desire the more beneficial gifts, the gifts for the common good. To a church that was only desiring tongues, which was not for the common good, this would have been a very pertinent command. As a church, look for the gifts that build up the body. I think that's the best way of understanding that phrase. And then in two weeks, we'll go on from there. But next week, we'll we'll look at these in a little more detail. We'll talk about how you use your gifts, where you start, some concerns about gifts. We'll do 9 and 10 on your list because those aren't actually in this text. Um, Takeaway of today, though. God has given one body with different members. Every member is needed This is not a spectator sport. This is a participation adventure together as we follow God. Because what God wants to do through village requires every believer sitting in this room to be using their gift. Think about that this week. Am I part of what God is doing? Because He has gifted village with exactly what what we need to do exactly what He wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise You for this gathering of saints, for this body that I am but a part of. Lord, thank You for Your divine wisdom in bringing us together as a bunch of individual members that together form Your body so much more than we can be alone. 
Lord, help us to view each ministry as important, as valuable, to thank them for their ministry. Help us to view our own contributions as valuable and needed and not stay on the sidelines. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in this body and you would move us to do your work in mighty and powerful ways, God. In Jesus' name.